Good morning and welcome back to Dry Jan Like a Sober Rebel with me, Louisa Evans. This series is designed to help and support you through your first month of sobriety, or even if you're later in your sobriety and you'd just like to dip into the episodes to find out more to help you with your mental health. I'm pulling together my expertise in my professional life as a cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist, alongside all of the hints and tips that I've garnered from the sober community. Today we're going to talk about dopamine. We've already mentioned dopamine. We've already mentioned some of the chemistry and the chemicals and the biology behind why we drank. And I'm no scientist, but I'm somebody who loves science. So what I do is I pull together everything that I use in clinic and everything that I've researched or found out for myself. So we've already talked about the biology of alcohol and the brain and the mind. And so some of this will be recapping slightly, but these are all subjects that are so massive that it's really difficult. Dopamine was something I was asked specifically to talk about. And so there will be a little bit of repetition, but also we'll go more in depth into the brain and how dopamine works and how we can find more healthy sources we want slow dopamine hits and not that fast quick dopamine hit that we're so used to drinking alcohol. So to start with let's recap on what dopamine is. When you drink the brain's reward system is flooded with dopamine which produces the euphoric buzz feeling. In fact, dopamine production can actually increase with the first sip of alcohol or even just by thinking about drinking because your brain has already probably associated pleasure with alcohol if you're a drinker over a long period of time. And so that's why people will get flooded with that great feeling even when they think of having a drink in early sobriety. And that's what you need to understand and overcome with those early thoughts and cravings. And one of the things that we've covered in some depth is how alcohol actually ends up robbing the joy from everyday life. So you're experiencing less and less pleasure from things in general. We also know that the body will seek to achieve homeostasis. It's always going to try to balance itself out with any hormones that are released. And that as our tolerance rises, that then leads us to needing more and more of whatever stimulant it is to get that good feeling going again. So let's go more in depth into the science behind dopamine. When you're a drinker, you may have set yourself challenges or had a list of things you want to do. Things like going to the gym more, getting up in the morning earlier to do a routine or to eat less junk food. Or, as we all tried moderation at some point, to try to cut back on your evening wine. But something keeps stopping you. And what was it that was getting in the way? Why did it feel so ridiculously hard to change old habits and to live a more healthy life? And it turns out you can partially blame dopamine for that. Because our brains are wired to want a reward. And that wave of euphoria you feel when you take that first bite of your brownie. We've talked about sugar cravings in the last episode. Or that sip of wine is dopamine surging through you. And alcohol feels great in part because it increases dopamine in the short term, but your brain adapts and eventually that feeling of reward that comes from drinking dissipates. Over time, dopamine production decreases, as we know, and your tolerance goes up, meaning you may need more alcohol to feel the same boost over time. 
So in this episode, I want to talk about exactly how alcohol changes your dopamine levels and what you can do to focus on healthier rewards because your brain has been so used to getting its dopamine from alcohol. That was just the really well-worn neural pathway. And you need to create some new pathways in your mind that are healthier rewards for you to get your dopamine. So dopamine as a neurotransmitter that works with that reward center of your brain makes you feel pleased, it makes you feel satisfied, and it can actually make you feel motivated. And whenever you get that rush of pride after accomplishing something, that's dopamine probably surging away in your brain. In fact, it's there after you do anything that makes you feel rewarded, like earning money or that sale you just closed or eating junk food, ordering something on the internet and buying it on impulse or even having sex. So the feel-good chemical does a lot more than just make you feel rewarded. So here are where your dopamine levels have the biggest impact. On memory, learning, how well you can pay attention, how much you feel pleasure, motivation, movement, your general mood and your sleep. So basically it's involved in almost every area of your thought and reward system. So the healthier your brain is, the better it can use dopamine effectively and then communicate messages between your nerve cells and the rest of the body, meaning you can go after your goals much more easily without losing motivation. And alcohol was having an effect on that, which is why in the past you found it hard to go for your goals or you've lost interest. That motivation wasn't there. So now in sobriety, things are starting to shift. Dopamine has a dual effect. On top of its essential role as a chemical in the brain, it also acts as a hormone. It's made by the adrenal gland, just like epinephrine and norepinephrine, the hormones that act behind your fight, flight or freeze response, which we've talked about with the autonomic nervous system, something that we need to manage in our systems, especially when it comes to anxiety or anger or stress. So as a neurohormone, it's also released by the hypothalamus in your brain. And that's where hormones are produced to regulate your basic bodily functions and mood. That's how it controls heart rate, temperature, your sex drive, your sleep and even your hunger. Whenever you're managing stress or anything to do with your mood, you can be sure that in one way or another, dopamine is involved. It even helps to protect your gastrointestinal lining and works with your immune system. So it is everywhere. It's so important. And that's why it's so important to do what you can to stay healthy and make sure your body's making enough of it and using it efficiently. It's not just about feeling good. And when it comes to thinking and cognitions, dopamine helps your cognitions by motivating you and making your ability to process your thoughts and store or access memories more efficiently. And that's why the more motivated you are to learn something, the more engaged and interested you become, hopefully making the learning process an enjoyable or worthy one. However, drinking heavily will obviously affect those cognitive functions, and it can have a few cognitive deficits. So whereas you'd think, A boost of dopamine is helping. When it comes from alcohol, the alcohol will then cause memory problems, difficulty making decisions, 
you'll have a lack of future-oriented thinking more likely to flake. So overall, alcohol is just making it harder to understand, to reason and to learn. And the more you drink, the more problems you'll have with thinking tasks, with thoughts, with cognitions and with your motivation to work. And it's also quite hard to feel inspired and engaged if you're dealing with some of the physical effects of drinking like dehydration, sleep deprivation and headaches let alone the fact you're kicking your pride on a regular basis when you're promising yourself you won't have a drink and you give in. So all those daily cognitive needs and memory functions are so sensitive to alcohol. Also, when it comes to nutritional deficiencies, drinking alcohol can impair your cognitions by affecting how you absorb vitamins from your diet. And thinking takes much more effort than we realise. Our brains use about 20% of our total calories consumed. So if you're not eating well or getting enough nutrition for your body and your brain, you're going to have a much harder time concentrating and feeling inspired or rewarded. So the good news is you're not drinking, you're having a sober stint or you've gone sober. So now you need to work out how you're going to get that dopamine from other ways. And understanding that's how you got it in the past, but how alcohol was giving with one hand and, as always, taking with another. When it comes to mental health, dopamine plays an essential role in your mood and in neurodevelopmental disorders such as anxiety, depression or ADHD. And since alcohol disrupts dopamine production and usage, drinking can either lead to an exacerbation of your symptoms or you can develop mood disorders as a drinker. But the good news is all of this is reversible. Your brain can restore its natural chemical levels and return to normal functioning. And it's quoted as saying that most people can see improvements within just a few months. So this initial stint, you're going to see some improvements, but if you stick at it, you're going to see a lot more. It's a long game. And all these changes help to rewire your brain away from thinking that alcohol is a reward, which we've done by challenging some of those beliefs in earlier episodes. But understanding how the chemistry works certainly helped me understand that my dopamine was going to take a little while to return to normal or to return to a level that I'd never experienced before because I'd spent my life as a drinker. So let's look at some ways in early sobriety that you can help boost your dopamine in healthy ways. And the first thing you can do is have a look at improving your sleep routine. Look at going to bed and waking up around the same time each day. And not drinking should help you with that because you've got more control over it. You're not passing out in front of the television or falling asleep on the sofa. You're not lying in bed later. Prioritising quiet time away from your screens before bedtime is a really good idea anyway. This is all logic, really. And create a comfortable sleeping environment where you don't confuse it with other things. Don't watch television in bed. Don't work in bed. Another way to boost dopamine in a healthy way and in a more slow-release way is to exercise. Do it in a way that you enjoy it. Sign up for a fun dance class or a fitness class like Zumba. Or try a hobby that keeps you active, like hiking or rock climbing. Find something that's going to give you those feel-good feelings whilst you do it. If you're going to go to a gym and you absolutely hate doing it, you're not going to get the same buzz. But exercise is a brilliant way of getting your dopamine levels up. 
Adding nutrient-dense foods into your diet also helps. Always making sure something green is served with your lunch or dinner. Swapping out milk chocolate for dark chocolate or adding some sort of protein shake to your breakfast every day. And regularly practice stress-relieving activities. Regularly practice going into that rest and digest side of the autonomic nervous system to reduce your cortisol levels, because that goes a long way to rebalancing your hormonal and nervous systems. You could just start with scheduling five minutes a day for something that relaxes you and actually requires little effort or planning, like meditating or listening to nature sounds with your eyes closed. The app Calm is brilliant for that. And I know they do have some free things. You have things on YouTube you could look up as well for free meditation or guided meditation. For those of you that may struggle to just sit there in silence, I'm one of those people. Or you could do hypnosis. I'm going to say it again. Also, think of daily activities you can gradually build up that can help you relax, like maybe an evening walk with the dog before bed or some nighttime relaxing yoga or stretching. And the biggest thing that anybody would be told if they were struggling with their dopamine levels is to cut out alcohol. So you've done the biggest thing already and just look and be inquisitive for ways that you get that feel-good feeling of dopamine in your everyday life. For me, sometimes it's putting on clean pyjamas and having a shower or a bath before bed, putting nice smelling lotions and potions and taking my makeup off. I get a real buzz from that now. Or you could get some healthy pain. There is science behind the fact that dopamine has a seesaw effect. So while you can initially have a sort of painful experience can actually then drive upswings in motivation and positive mood. One example of this, it's called hormesis, is taking cold showers or cold water therapy. And whenever I read about this, there's always more research unfolding all the time. But the body responds to painfully cold water by upregulating those feel-good molecules, including dopamine. And so those are actually modest natural rewards without a big come down at the end of it. And you can also boost dopamine through flow states. So when we get so absorbed in a task that you lose track of yourself, that actually releases a steady dopamine uptick. For me, that's when I'm editing. I find that I get so absorbed in the moment that time flies by and that's giving me a slow release of dopamine. They do say that getting into flow tasks like that can feel quite difficult because it's easier to sit on your sofa and watch Netflix. However, if you persevere, you can access flow by doing things like writing. You could write your memoir. So it's anything where you're losing track of time, painting, drawing, pottery, colouring in. Some people use mindfulness colouring, don't they? And I used to love doing that as a child. I might have a look into that. I've seen those amazing paint by numbers because I'm not artistic at all but I just about think I could manage a paint by numbers. The main thing is, is that our brains don't do well at multitasking. So what you need to do is choose one tiny goal at a time, which offers you the best chance of success. Don't try and do everything that I'm suggesting or focusing on absolutely everything in these 31 days. You can always revisit any of these episodes and try things. I'm just giving you the information while I have your ears. 
Whatever you're doing, it has to be practical, manageable and easy. So it's a good idea to make your first 31 days about your sobriety and then other habits or ideas can build on top of that. In fact, tomorrow's episode is all about building healthy routines, which is just another idea and another suggestion to help you with your mental health and to help support you in your sobriety. But if you're just focused purely on let's just get through this month, get my head down, then do it. But the whole idea of sobriety is to open up a whole new world and options in front of you. So being open to all of these ideas is a good thing, in my opinion. I like to consider all the different options. And I know in the early days, if somebody would have suggested to me that I'd be going to the gym three times a week religiously, and then I'd be doing some of the other things that I'm doing, I would have just felt completely overwhelmed. So you just need to take everything with a pinch of salt and do what feels right for you. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you find some useful information in there. And as always, if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, you can at Stepping Into Sobriety. You can purchase my audiobook on Audible, where I share more about my early journey into sobriety and those resets and restarts and how I coped with them, alongside some more hints and tips from my therapy work. And you can head to my website to download any hypnosis recordings you like with a discount code. I hope you have a great day and I look forward to catching you tomorrow.